Welcome to the Trends and Drumming Grabs podcast. Brought to you by Trends and Drumming Grabs. Welcome to the Trends and Drumming Grabs podcast. Brought to you by Trends and Drumming Grabs. Thank you. 
tracker is pretty cool. I'm just muting and unmuting some channels right now. I've got uh, samples in it that I made probably 15, 20 years ago. And uh, I'm just using it as background music for the show. I've also got another keyboard over here. Uh, Korg Minilogue. Uh, where's the phone? Where's the phone? There it is. So no, Vincent Price is not is not going to be joining us anytime soon. So the way I usually work with the synth when I get it is I'll go through all the different patches and I'll mess around with it and I'll change them up and uh, I'll save the ones that I like and I'll overwrite ones that I don't like. And I've had the Minilog, I guess, for two years now. It's uh, the XD. So for those that aren't familiar with it, this is a, a Korg analog polysynth. Uh, it's a four-note polyphonic analog synth with all digital controls. And it's, it's, it's really great. It's got a nice sound to it. It doesn't sound like a classic analog synth. I mean, it's, it's not that, so it's not going to sound like that. I mean, that's just that's how the gear is. Any of the new pieces that are replicas of the older pieces they're going to sound similar but um you know each piece of of classic gear has its own unique sound because all the parts and pieces in it are are so old and they've all been worn and used and heated up and cooled off and they've been even the best ones that have been treated well have you know seen some humidity and stuff so there's a lot of capacitors in there and there's electrolytic capacitors and what happens is over those over time the different materials and the capacitors they'll dry out or they'll leak or, or they will leak and then they don't function well and they change the sound and, and all that kind of stuff with the newer synths you don't have any of that that problem um and a lot of the I guess like the fluctuations and the um, like the inconsistencies that the old analog guys had uh, is all taken care of, and you know there's a, a whole Euro rack world out there of, of analog synths that uh, um, has come online in the past like ten or fifteen years, and you know it's something that I'll I'll get into eventually, but right now I'm I'm kind of happy with my my Minilog and my Polyend and my Digitact and all the other gear that I have, uh, there's, there's, there's just so much to do with it and so much to say. So yeah, this is the trans electronic podcast and it's about everything that makes the world wonderful and exciting. So music, uh, in, in regards to music, one of the things that I've really been exploring all my life is the use of polyrhythms to create different mind states and this is related to uh, what are called binaural beats as well as alpha beta and theta and delta waves and the way that all of this works is that your mind and your brain has a certain frequency a certain oscillation that it resides in when in certain states of mind. And it's one of these 
situations where the more calm you are, the more relaxed you are, the deeper that you can go into yourself and the more readily these states become available to you. Now, over the years, outside of the music world, there has been a lot of research in this field. And believe it or not, and, I, you know, I'm going to sound a little woo-woo here for a moment, and, you know, that might happen often. But what it is is that the, uh, the CIA actually looked into a lot of these technologies under the Stargate program. And the Stargate program was one where they would have geographical uh, coordinates on a piece of paper, and they would give it to a person. And then that person would close their eyes and focus on that location. And they would read back to the uh, person that gave them the coordinates exactly what they saw. And it would be like a blind test. And they were able to get really excellent results where the person that was viewing those coordinates would, without ever seeing them before was able to describe what was there. Uh, furthermore, the Stargate program was able to view things through time. There's one particular report that was released under the Freedom of Information Act requests that talks about uh, viewings on Mars. And one of the things that's super interesting about it is the coordinates of the first location is actually Cydonia on Mars. Uh, if you search on YouTube for any of the CIA documents, you can find a lot of information out there about it. There's a really great channel called uh, It's Redacted that has some really great content. Um, yeah, there's some really fantastic stuff out there. But getting back to the brain entrainment and the polyrhythms and the alpha and beta theta waves, what does all this have to do with that, RJ? Well, when they were doing the research into ESP and into these different, in, in the Stargate program, they had them hooked up to a brainwave monitor and they noticed that when the brain would fall into the alpha, beta, or theta, that's when they would get the best viewings uh, for the coordinates and stuff like that. Now, what does this have to do with music? Well, when we're talking about these different wavelengths in the mind, what happens is if you've got, say, a sine wave that is at, say, uh, 200 hertz, right? We want to kind of, you're going to hear that a lot and it's kind of going to be like in your gut. Um, but then what you do is you take another one that's at like uh, 208 hertz, smash it on there, make sure that they're out of phase. And then all of a sudden, you've got this this eight hertz tone, uh, beating, B-E-A-D, like, um, coming right at you. And what happens is you, you, you focus one sound on the right, one sound on the left, and your right ear hears what's going on on the left side of your, your right ear. The right, left brain hears the right ear, right brain hears the left ear, and entrainment ensues. And there's different frequencies. There's a, I think there's like a two hertz, a three, a five, you know, all, all down there. And the lower, uh, the deeper into the into the consciousness that you go. Now this brain entrainment, these different alpha and theta brainwave states, um, these are the same things that 
when you are in a transcendental meditation. Your goal there is to go all the way in, go all the way into this this really beautiful space that you can inhibit. Um, and, and what these different technologies allow you to do is to get there um, a little bit more easily than, than without them. And one of the things that I like to use, um, don't worry, I'm not... <laughs> not going to entrain your brain right now um is 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 a reverb as well as a delay um this polyend tracker has a great reverb in it but the one that just takes me there every time is the elisis uh, midi verb midi verb 4 i believe it's not the super uh guitar-y one this is the more studio one and it doesn't have any of the distortion in it but it's got this beautiful, beautiful reverb that has swirl on it. And when you turn that swirl up, um, it just starts to shimmer and, and spin around and, and really be beautiful. Um, and then it envelops you and, and you kind of forget about everything that's going on around you. Um, yeah, that's really beautiful. And where I do the entrainment is I've got a couple of delays that I use and they're 8-bit and they're crunchy and what I do is I pan them left and right and then with the different delay frequencies I create the rhythms that then intermesh and, and create the different uh, entraining uh, oscillations and you know a lot of it happens organically uh, due to the different maths that I use so when it comes to you know the polyrhythms you can obviously uh do the math to figure out like what eight hertz is going to be um at a different tempo so you can punch that into a little spreadsheet or whatever or calculator and find out what you need to set your lfo rate at so that's where a lot of of the science comes in and uh like i said it's not in this piece that i'm playing right now on the poly end it's uh, something I'll be performing at a future date. But for now, I'm going to go in on the polyhen for a little bit, so let's uh, see what happens here. Mind and matter. 
didn't use them for years and then when I got this guy right here I made a bunch of songs with the piano sample I think this looks like them over here um, yeah this looks like it I don't know how awesome this is gonna be so oh, please forgive me if this is horrible I'm gonna paint this like this and uh, I'm gonna turn this up Thank you. 
unmanifest. It is unmanifest. It is no hyphen thing, but all things come from it. Anything that is a thing has emerged from this field of unity. Thank you. Thank it's you so much. oneness. Thank you so much for joining joining me on the Transelectronic Podcast. It means a lot to me. It really does. Sorry for all that static there. You know, one of the things that, that I love about music is that it really helps to soothe our soul and I've taken music and art seriously my entire life ever since I was like five or six and I'm 50 now so that's like 45 years and I was in love with rhythm at a really young age and um, I was in bands in high school I was um, like in in a punk rock cover band called The Plague and I did all the branding and the marketing for that. And, you know, there was no marketing, but I made t-shirts and stencils and stuff like that. Um, and I, I, I took it seriously. You know, I always wanted to be a, a professional artist and musician. But more more an artist, right? Because um, I went to college for sculpture. And I did that for, you know for a good long time and um, after college in the in the 90s um, I spent a good year year and a half uh, at a studio in Plainville Plainview called Interzone and the person uh, I'll just you know I'll tell you the story of, of Interzone so back in the day way back in the day in the 90s before the internet and before SoundCloud and before, um, sheesh, before anybody that I knew was making records, we're talking like uh, 92, 93, maybe 94, early 90s. And um, I was doing a lot of tracks on my Amiga at the time. So I had to be around like 92 because that's really when I hit my stride with the Amiga and the tracker. So it was around 92, maybe 93, and I had just kind of completed what I felt like was like a really strong piece of musical content, and it's the song uh, Searching for Atlantis that I put out uh, end of last year on, a, on the Skeletons, the Skeletons release. And it was all done on the Amiga, 8-bit, four-note polyphony, uh, in a tracker. At the time, I did not have a modem for my Amiga, so it was just me in my little world. Like I like to be because that's <laughs> I like to be in my own world. It, it's helpful. Um, I'm on the spectrum. I'm more creative and much more comfortable this way. People really make fun of me and 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 put me off, and it's I really just prefer to to be in the studio by myself. Um, I don't like performing on stage. Uh, I don't like having to do all that kind of stuff. It's not fun for me. I don't enjoy it because I don't like having to like put on this act for people and, and perform. I'm not a, you know, I'm not a, a beast to perform for you. I'm an artist 
with a message and an idea and a vision. So, 1994, and I'm working at the studio, and I'm working on tracks for an album. Now, the studio didn't exist. The way this came about was my friend Keith said to me, he's like, hey, listen, you're really talented. I really like what you're doing. I want to build a studio. Why don't you move all of your gear into my basement where I've got this 32-track Mackie board and three ADATs. So we've got 24 channels of ADAT on your 32-channel board with eight buses. And he showed me this like wall of effects that he had. And Sonic TV4, Roland, SRV330, and the list goes on. Eventide, harmonizers, all sorts of stuff. So I'm like, so what's the catch? He's like, well, you know, I want to manage you and we'll make this record together and you know, I'll help get you out there. I'll help launch your career. I'm like, wow, this is I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, great. So I go to the studio and I move all my gear there and we set up in his basement. And at first, uh, things were going really well. We we're having fun. It was me and him. Then, uh, along the way, uh, we brought another person. And, you know, anytime you've got two people doing something, and you bring someone else into it, that third person's going to have an agenda. And they're going to want to take advantage of the situation for themselves. And that happened with everybody that we ran across. So the first person that we ran into, um, I'm not going to mention his name, uh, he was an engineer, and I met him through a friend of mine, uh, he was a DJ, and he kind of, him and the studio owner started to become buddies. Around that time, uh, I was going to Voodoo a lot, which was like the industrial, edgy, harder, older, techno kind of stuff. Um, and there were a few other nights at the, the club. One was called Wonderama, which is where I met DJ Speed. And then Caffeine, which was the, the techno giant. Micro was the DJ and the techno and I knew Micro because I was at uh, Voodoo before it launched. I actually mentioned to uh, Alex and Kevin before they ever opened the club. I said, hey, listen, if you guys really want to have a great club on Long Island, you should get DJ Slave. And uh, myself, probably a bunch of other people said it to him. And then they had opened the club initially under one name. It wasn't Voodoo, it was something else. Uh, and then they changed the name on Friday night or Saturday night to Voodoo, and the other night was Caffeine. Um, anyway, that's where I was going. And I met this guy, DJ Speed. And he was DJing at One Drama then, which was like, um, like Stone Temple Pilots. It was like guitar rock and shit like that. I had no interest in it. I hated that kind of stuff. I was like into uh, industrial and techno and stuff like that. And what I realize now is that, in hindsight, I see it clear as day, but that person that I met had no interest in me. All they cared about was learning everything they could from me and then using that knowledge for themselves. Now, why am I telling you this? <laughs> Be- 
because uh, as a survivor of narcissistic abuse, you know, we are really programmed to attract all the weirdos and all the freaks out there. Um, and we're just like freak magnets. So if there's somebody that's going to be either abusive or manipulative, boom, they come, they come right to us. Any, any of us survivors. Uh, and then what happened, and this is in hindsight, I see it. Um, he slowly separated me and drove a wedge between myself and the studio owner saying, you don't need him. You can do this on your own. I can help you. you we got to get you out of there. He's smothering you. He's not helping you. He's not doing anything for you. And then along the way, what I did was like, hey, studio guy, do we have any sort of contracts here? Do we have any sort of documentation that's spelling out what you're going to do and what I'm going to do? Uh, and eventually it came to a head. And after probably like a year of recording, must have had eight, 10, maybe 12 uh, songs on ADAT. We're about to mix everything and do all the arrangements. And he threw this big um, contract on the table. That means like, here's, here's your fucking contract, read it. It was literally like 400 pages, it was like a stack of paper like that. I'm like, okay, thanks. I took it and um, I freaked out like I had I had put all of my time and effort into this like a year year and a half of my life maybe even two years 94 95 and um, and like the contract was horrible we were, he was like hey I'm gonna put a, a sign over the LIE that says sphere and come out to voodoo and you couldn't see sphere come on out that's like that was called sphere at the time it was just pre-translectronic theory so I was there was no plan there was no like media buy there was no idea for like reaching out to radio stations or like a tour I'm like what about a tour and this guy he had no vision for what needed to happen and I was freaking out so I clearly I didn't sign the contract and then I pulled uh, one night one day while he was at work because we were all working got a full-time job during the day and then I'd go to the studio all night one day while he was at work I went by and I pulled all my gear I told him I was gonna take some of my gear and I just I just took it all I was freaked out I didn't know what to do um, I, I was I felt like I was getting um, hemmed in and I was being put on the spot for things he felt like uh, he owned me and he felt like I owed him uh, because of what we were doing. And I kept on telling him, I said, listen, don't do this for me. Please do this for yourself. I don't want to owe you anything. If I'm going to owe you anything, I'll just leave right now. Like, I don't want to have to owe you for this. Like, if you want to do this, you do this. Don't do this for me. And he was like, yeah, okay. So, so I'm, I'm sorry that I'm laughing, but it's just so funny because... I am always so direct and so clear about my intent, what I'm willing to do and not do. And then people get surprised when I am being honest and yeah, I'm not going to do that. I'll just, I'll walk. And as horrible as it is, I, that's exactly what I did. And he came home and he freaked out and I was at work. 
So he turns around and does the same thing to me. He comes over and goes into my basement and pulls all of the cables that he thought were his, which they weren't. Pulled all the cables out and uh, I came home and him and the other guy had done it, you know? So, you know, the moral of the story is like, man, I just, I let too many people get in my head, say too many things, convince me of things that maybe I didn't think were true and maybe things that I knew shouldn't happen, but I was weak and I did it and I listened to them. And, you know, it's funny because of all the four people that were involved in that little thing, um, two moved down to Nashville and then one moved back. One is still in New York. Um, the two that had the studio together, one of them actually kept the name Interzone Studios. Uh, it's a great name. It's from the William Burroughs book, Naked Lunch. And it's like the place that Burroughs goes when he does his drugs. Like none of those guys did drugs. They just like the name. And then the other guys, he's, he's still in New York. And, uh, you know, he's not a good guy. Like, I realize now that any interactions I've ever had with him just leave me feeling like shit afterwards. Not happy about it. I don't really like it. And um, the way that he makes me feel isn't good. So I'm just not going to be around that anymore. I'm going to take a short break here. I'm going to play some of this uh, this track. I'm going to have a little bit of a drink of my iced tea. here 
is another one of these little, um, you know what, actually, I've got a song, and, um, it's kind of cool, it does a phasing thing, let me turn the tempo up, because it's, it's gotta be pretty fast, I think, like 180 maybe, let's see, hold on, So this is a phasing piece inspired by Steve Reich and his um, phasing work with music rating musicians and drumming and stuff. Um, also inspired by Orbital. And that's a simple piece where I've got one sample and I'm playing it on the left hand side and the right hand side and I do a, a slight offset throughout the course of the composition so that it moves in time and it and it, it seems like they're just they're sliding around each other slowly over the course of uh, five minutes or so. And that's what you just heard. So this is actually programmed into the machine. So I'm going to just a hit play uh, song and I'm going to get up and stretch my legs and then uh, I'll be back before it ends. All right. Thank you. But all things come from it. Anything that is a thing has emerged from this field of unity. It's oneness. The scientists know this exists, but if they wanted to get there, they can't, you can't get there, it's unmanifest, you can't walk into this field. But any one of those scientists could practice a technique, transcendental meditation, which, remember, true happiness is not out there, given a mantra. You're given a mantra. You're given a mantra. You're given a mantra. You're given a mantra. Specific sound, vibration, thought. A mantra, a very specific sound, vibration, thought. Very specific. It needs to be life supporting at all deeper levels. And that mantra that you're given, that Maharishi gives. The key that opens the door, the mantra, turns the mind within.
opens the door. The mantra turns the mind within. Turns the awareness within. And you naturally dive. Why is it natural? Because each deeper level of mind and each deeper level of intellect has more happiness. And the deeper levels of mind has more happiness. And the deeper levels of mind has more happiness. And the deeper levels of mind has more happiness. At the borderline of intellect, you transcend. Transcend is the key word. It means to go beyond. experiencing oneness, pure, unbounded, infinite consciousness.